This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Carol Van Dam, and here's what's coming up. And the implication of this means the livelihoods, different sectors that rely heavily on rain-fed agriculture. The livestock people, the farmers, are likely going to be impacted negatively. That's George Otiano, a climate scientist at the EGAD Climate Prediction and Application Center on forests for the rainy season from March through May in the drought-stricken Horn of Africa to be drier than usual. Also, there's concerns about attacks on media as Nigeria's national elections draw near. And tomorrow marks a grim anniversary, the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. All this and more coming up on Africa News Tonight. Apprehension and hope are high in Nigeria as elections for the president and the National Assembly loom in just two days. Africa's most populous nation has been dealing with a number of violent attacks in recent weeks, including on the Elections Commission and candidates themselves. Once again, we have VOA's Peter Clody on the line live from Abuja. Peter, what's the mood on the streets and do you perceive any change there since you arrived a few days ago? Well, the situation here is very intense because the expectations are high. Um, the youth um, are enthusiastic about having a hand in who governs the country in the next four years after Sunday's election. So the expectations are high. People are telling me they are ready for the elections. A lot of people have also traveled to their uh, so the places where they register, they, their hometowns, cities, uh, so a lot of people are leaving at the moment ahead of Saturday's elections, Carol. Mm-hmm. And what are the security concerns? How How is the country trying to prevent violence and cheating? You know, I spoke with the director, the, uh, the, uh, the DIG, the Deputy Inspector General of Police in charge of operations. He is in charge of deploying uh, the police personnel across the country, he said, they are ready um, to ensure that those who uh, hoodlums, they describe them as miscreants, who want to prevent the election from taking place, are dealt with in, with accordance with the law. And they want to ensure that uh, people who, uh, you know, want to vote peacefully carry out the 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 the. the uh, civic duty without any hindrances from those who want to uh, threaten the country's peace and territorial territorial integrity. Now, they told me, the police told me this morning as I spoke with them, that uh, they are teaming forces with the armed forces, the Navy, and then the Air Force to ensure that the elections are protected, that prospective voters go to the polls without any fear, uh, without any intimidation or harassment from anybody. And that the military said military personnel will be professional and ensure the protection of all Nigeria. Mm-hmm. It's still two days ahead, but have you seen increased uh, police presence on the streets there? Hello? Yes, I can hear you. Yes. Can you hear me, Peter? Yes. Yes, I can hear you, yes. I was just saying, uh, you're there, you've been there a few days, and we're still two days out before the elections. Uh, does it seem like there's more police presence on the streets? 
Well, at the Eagle Square, which is the national ceremonial square of Nigeria, you had a combination of the police, the Air Force, uh, the armed forces. They were training and getting combat ready for the protection of the election. Now, as I was saying, I was at the police headquarters where a lot of the police were also being, were being taken through the drills uh, and training and on how to ensure peace during the polling. So, yes, um, there has been a heavy deployment all across polling areas, and there will be a police officer, according to the Deputy Inspector General of Police in charge of operations, there will be a police officer in all polling stations across Nigeria to ensure that people feel, will feel protected. They will go and choose who their next leaders are without any fear or favor. And they call on uh, uh, Nigerians who will go to the polls to be respectful of the INEC poll officials who will be administering the polls on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And finally, what about ordinary citizens? Do they seem optimistic about this election, and do they believe that they've got a chance at a better life um, on the other side of this election as a country deals with a variety of challenges? The resounding um, feedback I get is that this is a milestone uh, in Nigeria's burgeoning democracy, and that the youth and all other groups are engaged in trying to change what they think should be a better Nigeria. And they want to have a hand in who becomes the next president. So the situation is very encouraging. They are telling me that they are interested in having a hand on who rules Nigeria in the next four years, who they want to give the mandate to, and who they think is best place to improve their lives, improve living conditions, infrastructure, and all that. So let's wait and see what comes up on Saturday, Carol. Thanks for your insight, Peter. That is VOA's Peter Clody in Abuja. Attacks on journalists in Nigeria remain a serious problem, and as the national elections draw near there, it is feared there will be new violence on media. The Nigeria Union of Journalists says it is working to protect its members, as we hear more from Abuja. Since Nigerians returned to democracy in 1999, there have been dozens of attacks on journalists in the country. Comrade Emmanuel Obeche is the chairman of the Nigeria Union of Journalists, or NUJ. He says the threats continue. In respect to the number of journalists killed since return to democracy in Nigeria, it's about 20 or 22 because it spans from Obasanjo, Yaradua, Jonathan and Tubuari. And specifically in the last almost eight years, we've had nine journalists that have been killed, butchered in their homes, mostly by non-state actors. Obeche says the Nigeria Union of Journalists is seeking to have those responsible for the killings held to account so the families of the slain journalists have closure. The UJ has been compiling lists of those that have been killed extrajudicially and um, we forwarded the same to the Office of the Attorney General and Minister of Justice. We hope that um, the government will act on it. Unfortunately, government seem not to have acted decisively on the petitions, including the National Human Rights Commission that is empowered to look into some of these matters. But it isn't just a one-stop effort. Obeche says the journalists' union continue to work with the authorities, particularly with the police, to provide security and conducive environment for journalists. 
Ahead of Saturday's presidential election, the union has worked to train and advocate for journalists to help them stay safe during electionary period and crisis situations. Ten years after the United Nations came out with an action plan on the safety of journalists and the issue of impunity, Nigeria has not taken any concrete action to stem attacks on journalists. A lawyer in Abuja, Barrister Dauda Ajodoson, says the government should stress effective law enforcement related to the rights of the journalists. The constitution being the supreme law in Nigeria provides for a way where anybody's right that is being infringed can seek redress in our law court. It is also established that the gross violation of the journalist's rights is always between two actors. One, we have state actors, we have security agents. You discover that security agents are usually the one the government even use against the journalists. Victorson Abwenson is a journalist with the Federal Radio Corporation of Nigeria. He is worried about safety for journalists during the elections. I would expect the security agencies to provide security for journalists who are covering this election. You know that in time past, we've uh, had a very fatal incident. We've lost colleagues in the heat of these uh, political contestations. The Nigerian Union of Journalists has created a hotline for members to report abuses, harassment and threats as the election commences on Saturday. For VOA News, from Abuja, Nigeria. Jill Biden, the First Lady of the United States, is in Namibia. She's met with President Hage Gaingab and First Lady Monica Gaingos and had lunch with them today. VOA's Anita Powell was at a brief news conference with Biden and Gaingos yesterday in Windhoek. Here's a little bit of what the, first, the two First Ladies had to say. We wanted to come because, uh, you know, this is a young democracy and we want to support democracies around the world. And um, we met each other in December and we're just continuing the relationship. And Monica and I, uh, I, I think it's safe to say that we became good friends instantly. It was just one of those things where you meet somebody and you connect. And so we work on a lot of the same issues and that's why it was important that I continue my work and come and uh, show support for Namibia. Madam First Lady, what do you hope to show uh, Dr. Biden on her trip here? What's important to you? There's a lot in Namibia that uh, we'd really like to show Dr. Biden. I know it's her first visit um, to Namibia. I know it's the first time an incumbent American First Lady has come to the country. And I think what she talked about is very true. Um, It is a very vibrant democracy. We've got a very large youth population who drives that democracy very energetically. Um, And it's fully enabled by our constitutional values, but also by the personal values of our our leadership. For the latest on Biden's visit, we have reporter Vitalio Angula on the line with us from Vindhook. Welcome, Vita. Thanks for joining us. What's on tap for Mrs. Biden in Vindhook today? Um, Thank you very much. Um, We just had a a fully packed luncheon with uh, dignitaries at the State House. That was about four hours ago. And um, later on, actually today, they are still busy at an organization in Katutura called the uh, Hope Initiative for Southern Africa, an NGO that focuses on breaking the cycle of hunger and poverty. It also focuses on family and strengthening and empowering women 
and the fight to end uh, um, gender-based violence in Namibia and around the globe. And how are people there responding to her visit? Um, people that I've spoken to say that um, President uh, First Lady Joe Biden's visit shows show and indicates an enduring relationship on some level between the USA and Namibia, especially with the USA being one of uh, Namibia's partners in the areas of uh, public health. They also said that the U.S. government on some level relates uh, to Namibia, and they say that, generally speaking, this uh, visit can provide the Biden admin with opportunities on, in Namibia and also to know the challenges that the country faces in terms of capacity building, youth employment, and skill and health enhancement. They also say that um, the two partner states, which are the USA and Namibia, can uh, do a partnership in terms of governance because they mentioned that in USA, half of the population do not have confidence in their leaders. And also in Namibia, it seems to be the same way by the citizenry is losing uh, confidence in their leaders. So they say in this trip, they would like to see uh, Namibia and the USA actually discussing ways in order to strengthen citizen engagement and also to strengthen confidence of the citizenry in their leaders. Okay, thanks, Vita. That's Vitalio Angulo. He was speaking to us from Vinhook, Namibia. You're listening. You are listening to Africa News Tonight. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please see voaafrica.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. The Intergovernmental Authority on Development, or EGAD as it's known, says the Horn of Africa is bracing for yet another depressed rainy season from March to May, even as millions continue to suffer from the ongoing drought. From the Kenyan capital, Nairobi, Ruben Chama reports. The forecast was issued by the East African Regional Bloc in Nairobi Wednesday during the Greater Horn of Africa Seasonal Climate Outlook Forum. Giorgio Tieno is a climate scientist at the EGAD Climate Prediction and Applications Center, ICPAC. Today the forecast has just been released for the March, April, May for the Greater Horn of Africa. And what it basically says is the region is expecting largely depressed rainfall over most part of the region. And the implication of this means the livelihoods, different sectors that rely heavily on rain-fed agriculture. The livestock people, the farmers, are likely going to be impacted negatively. The prediction shows a high chance of drier than average conditions across most parts of the region, which will further worsen the crisis for millions of people. Otieno is calling for greater coordination among governments, aid groups and development partners to address the growing food crisis. There needs to be continued advisories and advocacy to the people especially to the vulnerable population within the rural communities where the impact is directly felt, or even changing the livelihoods. If people used to grow a particular crop, then there is needs to even change 
to other livelihoods that uh, may not depend heavily on, on rainfall because we continue to receive depressed rainfall season after season. The UN World Food Programme says 22 million people face a severe hunger crisis across the Horn of Africa in Djibouti, Ethiopia, Kenya and Somalia after four consecutive failed rainy seasons. David Gikungu is the director of Kenya Meteorological Department and Kenya's permanent representative to the Geneva-based World Meteorological Organization. In our history of uh, forecasting, what we are experiencing now is quite new. Having failed rainfall seasons, five of them in a row, and staring with a bit of fear at the possibility of a sixth one. It is not a small matter. This is the first time we have seen this in uh, about 40 years. The United Nations says the Horn of Africa is experiencing the worst drought in 40 years, which is causing tremendous suffering for millions in Ethiopia, Kenya and Somalia. Disruptions to grain supplies and rising prices caused by the war in Ukraine have pushed more and more people to the brink in regions already reeling from skyrocketing costs resulting from the intersection of climate change, conflict and the COVID-19 pandemic. Ruben Chama, VOA News, Nairobi. Meanwhile, Kenya's tourism industry says earnings have jumped 83% last year as the sector recovered from the COVID pandemic. Tourism revenue is expected to more than double over the next four years, as Victoria Amunga reports from Nairobi. A new report from Kenya's Ministry of Tourism says earnings from the tourism sector increased to more than 2.1 billion U.S. dollars last year. That's a gigantic leap from the 1.16 billion U.S. dollars earned in 2021 when the pandemic was holding down international travel. The number of international tourists also grew to over 1.4 million compared to 870,000 in 2021. 16% of the visitors last year arrived from America, according to the ministry, about 12% from Uganda and 10% from the United Kingdom. Penina Malonza is Kenya's Minister of Tourism, Wildlife and Heritage. Because of uh, the nature of the relationship that we have with U.S., of course, and of course uh, the nature of the numbers, if you do a proper marketing in any country, and if that country has good numbers, of course... uh, Looking at the population of U.S. is a quite large population, and we this is our traditional markets. The impact of COVID-19 in 2020 brought Kenya's tourism industry to a screeching halt, with more than 2 million people losing their jobs at the time. Most have since returned to work. The tourism sector accounts for 10.4% of Kenya's economy and 5.5% of formal employment. Victoria Amunga for VOA News. Nairobi. The head of South Africa's embattled state power company, ESCOM, is leaving his job earlier than planned after accusing high-level officials of corruption. The CEO's departure comes the same day South Africa's finance minister announced a massive bailout for the debt-ridden company amid record power cuts. Kate Bartlett speaks to analysts on the prospects for turning the company around in this report from Johannesburg. 
ESCOM CEO Andre de Reiter has been released from his job with immediate effect, the company said Thursday in a statement. De Reiter submitted his resignation late last year, saying he was unable to turn the graft-riddled utility around. Shortly afterwards, he alleged there was a poisoning attempt on his life. However, he had been set to serve out his notice period until the end of March, and a replacement has not yet been found. News of his early departure came shortly after the writer gave an explosive interview on local TV this week, accusing high-level cabinet officials of being aware of and accepting corruption. ESCOM spokesman Sikonati Manchacha said the board had convened a special meeting on Wednesday, during which it was mutually agreed to curtail his notice period. The board further resolved that Mr. Durator will not be required to serve the balance of his notice period, but that he will be released from his position with immediate effect. Earlier this month, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa declared a national state of disaster because of the electricity crisis. The power cuts, known as load shedding, are meant to reduce pressure on the overstretched grid, with its many aging and badly maintained coal-fired power stations regularly breaking down. Sometimes running for as long as 12 hours a day, the blackouts have hit Africa's most industrialized economy hard, said Finance Minister Enoch Gorengwanya in his budget speech on Wednesday. He then announced a large bailout for the company, which is $23 billion in debt. The lack of reliable electricity supply is the biggest economic constraint. Record levels of load shedding were experienced in 2022. I'm told 207 days of load shedding. Lumkile Mondi, an economics lecturer at Johannesburg's Fitzwaterrand University, told VOA the debt relief was a good move on the government's part. The taking of the debt into the nation's balance sheet allows ESCOM to use that money wisely, invest on new uh, transmission infrastructure, while at the same time having money to uh, sustain some of the viable uh, coal-fired power station. So I think overall it is positive. Independent analyst Asandang Gosheng noted the current crisis stems from a myriad of factors. During apartheid, only a small percent of the population, mainly whites, had access to electricity. So when South Africa transitioned to democracy, the new government had to roll out power to the rest of the population. So it was essentially a heady cocktail of ailing infrastructure that wasn't maintained, infrastructure that had to serve more people than what it had to serve before, and corruption, which then kind of made things worse than they already were. The writer was ESCOM's 13th CEO in 10 years. The company has said it is seeking a replacement. Kate Bartlett for VOA News, Johannesburg. South Sudan President Salva Kiir has appealed to his country's more than 2 million refugees to return home. The Associated Press says President Kiir held his first meeting with displaced people yesterday, two weeks after Pope Francis met with a group of them in the capital, Juba. Kiir said repatriating refugees from camps in other countries should be on the top of the agenda now that the country is transitioning from a military government to elections scheduled to take place late next year. The president said the government will provide security for those who wish to return home and those who cannot will be allocated land in states where displacement camps are located. South Sudan is still recovering from a five-year civil war that ended in 2018. Hundreds of thousands of people were killed in that war. 
And that wraps it up for this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mukbil Yabaro, and our engineer, Atreus Regis, thanks for joining us on The Voice of America. VOA Africa is your trusted source for news, sports, entertainment, and music. Stay engaged with VOA Africa. We love to hear your voice. You can call us 24-7 on WhatsApp and leave a message. Leave comments, requests, or greetings. We may play your message on VOA Africa. Dial the international code PLUS1. Then, 202-258-3076. VOA Africa is always happy to hear your voice. The number again is the international code PLUS1. Then, 202 202-